1: This is Spilling Royal Tea with
0: Sean Mandel and Craig Robert Young.
1: The kettle is whistling, the tea is hot. Spill it, Sean. What's the latest gossip on Meghan and Harry? So, Meghan and
0: Harry, you know, they've been making several uh, appearances together lately, which, you know, has given us a chance to see, you know, and hear more from Meghan. Um, so, they uh, the Fab Four, as they've... Been dubbed now the the royal Fab Four. Our new Fab Four. Not the Beatles. Not, the, not Beatles, the Beatles. Not the Beatles. We don't have all of them anymore, sadly. So we're gonna. So these are our new Fab Four. They made their first official joint appearance um, to talk about charitable work at the Royal Foundation, and it was here that Megan actually spoke a little bit about women's empowerment, and she referenced both Me Too and Times Up, which I think is a pretty good thing, don't you? Yeah. No. I mean, the thing. It seems like a natural, a natural thing to discuss,
1: especially because. Um, it's um it's very current it's what's happening right now it's a it's a part of the conversation exactly and it definitely fits in with you know megan's sort of background
0: but it does raise an interesting question how politically vocal can royals be and also is the me too and times up movement are those political movements this is spilling Royalty. The podcast that follows the piping hot engagement of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, from the annals of British history to the wedding chapel at Windsor Castle. The show is half British and half American, just like the historic marriage of Meghan and Harry. I'm Sean Mandel, a producer, pop culture devotee,
1: and TMZ's unofficial royal correspondent. And I'm Craig Robert Young, a British-born thespian working in Hollywood, but with a childhood thoroughly steeped in the Crown's culture. In each episode we will spill the tea That's American for Gossip
0: on the latest stories about Meghan and Harry. Tea will be served with some English history and cultural translations from
1: across the pond that you can't go without. So, without further ado, let's spill the royal tea.
0: Yes, episode two, here we go. Yeah, Spilling Royal Tea. So today we're going to be talking about uh, politics and oh, the royal family. We're yes. Going to see, can royals be political? What is considered political as well? Um, and we're going to touch particularly into the Me Too movement and whether or not they're going to be
1: weighing in on this because it's obviously taking place not just here in the US and LA, but across the world. Exactly. And whether they can be political or not, you know, as the royals, why do they uh, keep mum, as they say in the UK about such issues. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, well, we'll we'll have a look at how the Queen, who certainly has strong opinions, uh, treaded this path in the past. Absolutely. Um, And we're going to also borrow some insight from Eleanor Bennett, a producer of women's content at Spoke, about whether the Me Too movement actually is political. And uh, we'll leave you with some blue blooded advice about speaking your mind in uncomfortable places. I think it might be um, a good time to
0: talk about some history here. Let's do it. Verse one.
2: Something old.
0: Okay, so I think there's a misconception about what the royals do, you know, who they are, what their role is sort of in um, both Uh, You know The contemporary British monarchy But also like Pop culture and everything, right? So the important thing to like take it back to is that they're, they are supposed to be apolitical. The British monarchy—I like, every time a, a British monarch tried to uh, exercise too many of his own personal opinions, didn't really like end up very well.
1: Although um, you know, it's well known that uh, King George and Churchill had a very good relationship and passed notes. That's true. Um, and With him giving thumbs up about certain wartime activities in World War Two, right? So, the one role that the monarch does have in terms of their interaction with the government, um, you know,
0: anytime a new prime minister is elected, he or she has to be invited to form a government because it's a government in the sovereign's name. Yeah. Um, and the, the sovereign does typically have uh, weekly meetings with the prime minister, whoever he or she may be, to advise and consent. But it's really supposed to be more of like a listening session. It's not, and it's the king or queen supposed to be providing advice based on their own experience yeah. of like pitfalls, things to be aware of that maybe the prime minister hadn't considered right but so there are some famous examples of monarchs in like modern history modern you know thinking from like 1800 to now of monarchs like getting in trouble so this is actually documented really well in both um the ebeline blunt movie uh, young victoria and also in the new um uh, bbc series victoria which is uh, a longer version about like her sort of like coming to the throne and everything And so what happened was, is that uh, a prime minister of a certain party uh, decided to resign from power queen victoria was very young she had uh she was very close to this prime minister because he was the one who sort of like guided her as she was ascending to the throne being only like 18 years old and all her ladies in waiting because you know the queens still have ladies in waiting even (laughs) to this day they do there are ladies in waiting at court um all her ladies in waiting were from the same political party as this outgoing prime minister now the new prime minister coming in was from a different political party And he insisted that if the queen um, was going to support his government, she needed to have ladies-in-waiting from his party as well, from Uh wives of ministers and members of that party. But she refused because she was like, she didn't see that it was political. Her point of view was, these are my friends. I like these people. I want to hang around them. You know, I want to have my girlfriends with me. And they happen to be of the, you know, party in the minority, if you will. And I don't care.
1: And uh, he thought that they would have some sort of um, influence over the Queen's decision?
0: It was that, and it was also just like taking that the Queen didn't have confidence in his government. And it was the Queen taking sides, because she was surrounding herself by people of one political party. And, you know, and she was also very young, you know, and she didn't have a formal education, um, you know, like modern women do. And so uh, he that Prime Minister actually resigned. uh, Prime Minister Peel, he refused to, (laughs) like he said if the queen doesn't have confidence in me i'm not going to do it it became this huge constitutional crisis people were in an uproar uh and it almost brought down the monarchy within the first you know few years of queen victoria's reign
1: they're always uh treading on water there a little bit aren't they with the monarchy and like whether whether it's going to exist whether it's going to continue right. are they in, in tune with uh today's society absolutely and you have
0: to remember that it's like starting uh really from Victoria's era on, right? The French Revolution has already happened. Um, It is the beginning of monarchs of Europe who are beginning to be overthrown. So they're worried about job security. Um, And that goes through to today because after, from that point on, you know uh cons- monarchies both constitutional and not, you know start falling off he- like left and right yeah they start diminishing yep. um but they were dying o- breed as some might say exactly but so there were other instances much more modern ones a big one which has an interesting connection to Meghan is Edward the 8th uh, the abdication crisis because he wanted to marry the woman he loved Wallace Wallace Simpson Wallace Simpson I found it impossible to carry out the duties of my job without the support of the woman I love. <laughs> so you know that was a big thing too because he, uh, Edward VIII, formerly the Prince of Wales, afterwards the Duke of Windsor, he viewed it as whatever the king wants to do, like, is law, but didn't understand that, you know, as head future head of the Church of England, that there were certain rules and restrictions on him. Um, and that pre- created this huge, again, constitutional crisis. And that's not so much political, but in the sense that he was going against what par- like parliament controls him and he was fighting it and that's not really something that you can do because there are laws about like who the, there were and they've been changed a lot but there are laws about who members of the royal family can marry and so he was going against those laws and it's strange because those personal things that we think of like oh that's not poli-. like today we look at that like that's not political yeah. but it was like it really was in those times um and there's a great moment too which like um i think a lot of people didn't know about but if you watch season two of the crown This is not a plug for them, I just really (laughs) love the show. It's a great point of reference. It really is a great point of reference. And it's so fun to see it, you know, I mean, the other thing about that show is that, you know, Robert Lacey, who is uh, Queen Elizabeth's like official biographer, he is very involved in that show. So you really do sort of get, I mean, it's a little bit propagandistic, like I've read that as well, but you know, I'm clearly here for it. So, but one of the, the fun things about it is that in season two, Queen Elizabeth goes to Nigeria because she's been influenced. She's just seen Jackie Kennedy's influence on De Gaulle and the French. And she feels a little bit like, you know, she's been towing the line. She's been doing what people tell her to do. And now she's like, well, I want to have a little bit of power. And Nigeria is about to go over because it's the Cold War. Nigeria is about to go over to the Soviet side because they're getting all this money from the Soviets. And she decides to use her glamour and her power to go to Nigeria. And she does this huge thing, which is she dances with the president of Nigeria, a black man, uh, quite controversial. At that time. At that time. She got a lot of flack for it in the British papers, but then... She won them over and she brought Nigeria back over to, I guess you would call it the allied side. And then she was highly praised for it. But that was like a political move. A political move. Yeah. She was
1: very aware of what she was doing. Absolutely. And I think that government have uh, used the royal family mm-hmm. in the past for these political gains uh, with certain countries, especially with diplomacy. And these these trips that are, are planned out are designed for better relations with these other nations. Absolutely. Another great example that's more recent,
0: is thinking about Princess Diana. You know what I mean? Like, we talk about now uh, Princess Diana visiting HIV-AIDS patients yeah. as being a huge turning point, and it was. But the thing we don't like, I think we don't remember how big of a deal that was and how um, she got so much flack for it. You
1: know, well, she- I remember the front pages very clearly of The Sun and The Daily Mirror back in the day and, you know, of Diana um, stroking the face of an AIDS patient. Right. It was like, oh my God, she touched somebody with AIDS. You know, it was... It was really um Shocking to the to the British public at that time because of how little people knew about the AIDS crisis at that time, and they thought you could catch it by touching somebody.
0: Right. I mean, and you. I mean, think about it. This, this is the early nineties. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that Margaret Thatcher's government was also putting out propaganda against, uh, basically making gay people out to be pretty much like monsters and um, carriers of virus. And here you have a member of the royal family, which you know, argue again. I mean, you have to think like. Uh, you know, LGBT issues were like still are very political. Most of the people suffering from HIV AIDS in that hospital were LGBT people. And that was a very political yeah. stance to take. But again, she tapped into the humanitarian part of it. And that's, I think, how she sold it. But it was definitely a risky move. But again, huge payoff.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's when you look at, you know, will Megan go that direction that Diana did too where, you know, she's not going to be told what to do by government and she may actually go the other way and speak her mind about the issues that she really cares about and the people of the land. First two, something new.
0: Okay, so now that we've looked back at Royals' past and how they've uh, navigated the waters of political, social stances and issues, um, it really does relate to what's going on right now. Because Meghan Markle, she was with uh, Duchess of Cambridge, Duke of Cambridge, Prince Harry at this event for the Royal Foundation, which was started in 2009 to support the charities that Prince William and Prince Harry and the Duchess of Cambridge all support. But it's really it's really interesting because she is also a, uh, a fiance at this point, you know. Like she's not yeah. officially titled and married, and she, but she's still up on stage. It's great, you know. Yep. So she was asked uh, at this event what she was interested in, and in her response, she brought up uh, the Times Up and Me Too movements. So uh, let's have a little listen to that. What's interesting is I hear a lot of people saying when speaking about girls' empowerment, finding and knowing their worth, or women's empowerment as well. You'll often hear people say well, you're helping women find their voices.
1: And I fundamentally disagree with that because women don't need to find a voice. They have a voice. They need to feel empowered to use it. And people need to be encouraged to listen. And I think right
0: now in the climate that we're seeing with so many campaigns, I mean, with Me Too and Time's Up, there is no better time than to really continue to shine a light on women feeling empowered and people really helping to support them, men included in that. I mean, it it makes such a tremendous difference.
1: So, and and you know what's interesting, Sean, is because that interview is like 20 minutes long. But, of course, people have just been focusing on this 30-second clip of Megan referencing the Me Too and Time's Up movement. Of course. You know, I mean, soundbite culture, right? Um, You know, and we should also point out that Megan's
0: interest in women's rights is not a recent development. Um, You know, she's not piggybacking on this issue. She's spoken very strongly and fiercely about empowering women. She visited uh, Delhi promoting young women's health. And hygiene for World Vision Canada. She's also, interestingly enough, speaking about politics, spoken out against uh, Donald Trump,
1: now president, mm-hmm. and what she viewed as his, you know, misogyny. And and this is the thing with the Donald Trump thing. So you can't take back what you've already said, right? Right. So now, now she's going into this new role, and you know, Princess Diana was very young when she met Charles, and, right? You know, she didn't really have an or, or a, a profile, yeah. I guess, or or a platform to talk about the issues that are in. Important to her, right? Now Megan had that already being an actress, and you know she had a platform. Was obviously asked questions on red carpets, and so we know where her her stance is. But now she has to toe the line a little bit, I guess, coming into this family,
0: but still be true to herself. It sounds a little cold to say branding, but her branding, you know, like who she has been is just this very authentic,
1: outspoken, yet savvy, you know, she's not throwing bars. Exactly, yeah. And I wonder how difficult that's actually going to be for her. Right. Um, You know, just to set up some contrast, Kate recently attended the BAFTA Awards in London. Um, and there was a big question there about whether she would wear a, a black dress in solidarity because everybody, all, the, all, female, all females in attendance were wearing black to show their support for the Me Too movement.
0: Right, as they did at the Golden Globes
1: here in L.A. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, but she actually opted out for uh, an emerald green dress. But really, is it political? I mean, this these movements? That's the question.
0: You know, it's so funny because like, when, we, when that happened, we had a, we were filming the TV show here at TMZ and we were talking about that. And I wonder how this is perceived, you know, from Brits. Because I think to us in the room, we were all like, this is not a political thing. This isn't, you know, showing support, like coming out. Do you really, is it a risk to say, hey, I don't support sexual harassment and sexual abuse?
1: Yeah. Like, is that not a, you know. That's is that a- not a given? Well, in history, you know, the British government has been surrounded in controversy. Uh, There was the big Profumo affair that happened in uh, the 1960s with Catherine Keener. There was a movie called Scandal about it, which I don't know if you've seen it, you should. But, you know, that was, uh, even though it wasn't political, but, you know, there's been rumors circulating about Prince Andrew and, you know, the whole sort of um, sex slavery thing that was going on as well. You know, allegedly that, you know, people were hired for him for his pleasure. Obviously, it's been denied by the, the palace, but, um, you know, it's still accusations. And, and we've seen what accusations have done to people's lives and careers here in Hollywood. You know, so should the royal family get a... I don't know, a pass. You know, a lot of people are pointing to the black sash that,
0: you know, Kate wore with that dress. That, uh, But she has worn something like that similarly um, from, you know, the research that I found. So is it something firmly new that she's doing to do this? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of reading into it. The Pals is officially staying mum on all this, by the way. Like, they're yeah. not even giving any, like, on background anything. Uh, everything right now is just no comment, no comment, no
1: comment. I guess also that probably the line is drawn because they don't know how you know how far to take an allegation seriously right you know obviously people that have have been abused in these situations if there's no proof to back things up and it just becomes um, you know a hearsay how how much are they allowed to uh, comment upon that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's I, difficult.
0: It is difficult. I mean, I think that it's also very interesting. I mean, she actually wore a black dress last year, which is really funny <laughs> uh, because I'm not going to lie to you. So my first reaction when I saw this is that I was like, oh, everybody's overreacting because in the old school, in the old guard, right? Like royal women are not supposed to wear black unless they're in mourning. Yeah. Unless someone's died. Yeah. And Princess Diana actually got in trouble for that. I mean, granted, she was all of what, 18, 19? Um, but her first fo- royal outing um, with Prince Charles, it was an evening event where she actually met um, Princess Grace of Monaco, uh, formerly Grace Kelly. And uh, she was wearing this off-the-shoulder, very plunging, like, black gown um, that the Emanuels designed, mm-hmm. which was, they also ended up designing her wedding dress, of course. And Charles, apparently, was very upset with her. He's like, what are you doing? You're not wearing that. And it's like, it's black. Royal women only wear black when they're mourning. So that was my first take on this. But it turns out um, that that is only something that, like, the older generation of royals do. Right. And because you can't actually find a ton of pictures. I was quickly proven wrong. There are a ton of pictures of Kate wearing black dresses. She wore a black dress last year, but I think the easier thing PR-wise here would have just been to wear a black dress and say no comment about why you're wearing a black dress.
1: But maybe she is making a comment by not wearing a black dress because she's bringing more attention to the issue. Verse three, something
2: borrowed.
0: Okay, so let's go ahead. Um, I would love to expand this conversation a little bit more. So we're going to bring in uh, Eleanor Bennett. Eleanor is the producer of women's content at Spoke and has been well steeped in the uh, Me Too movement. So she can give us a uh, little bit of uh, perspective as I how's that? Yeah, how this might fit into the to
1: the broader conversation. Should we uh, Should we give her a call now? Let's do it.
0: So Eleanor, welcome to Spilling Royal Tea.
2: Hi, thanks for having me on.
1: Our pleasure. Thanks for being with us, Eleanor. So um, can you tell us, Eleanor, briefly how the Me Too movement first got its start?
2: Yeah, so it actually started about 10 years ago by American civil rights activist Tarana Burke, and the original intent of the movement was healing for black and brown women. And the idea was by standing up and saying Me Too, survivors of sexual abuse and assault, were able to support each other and really began the healing process.
0: How did it um, sort of get, you know, because since it's been around for so long, but it's really only now... Taking off in a sort of like meteoric rise, how did, you know how did that connection start to happen to where it expanded out more broadly to all women and men um, who've experienced you know sexual harassment or abuse.
2: So it's it's really been this rising tide of a sexual revolution that's happening around the world, but I think that it really came to a head last fall when the Harvey Weinstein case came out. And basically all of these people just started standing up and really speaking out and a lot of Hollywood people, a lot of really high profile people, men and women coming out with their stories. And I think the political climate was ripe, we can agree, and it just kind of took off from there. So it's really gotten to become a much more high profile movement in the last several months.
0: In what ways do you see it as uh, as a political movement Um, or do you see it as a political movement?
2: Yeah. So I think you can't deny that the movement is tied to, as I said, the sexual revolution we're living in. And it's definitely trying to raise awareness of this pervasive sexual harassment that we're seeing every day. Um, and one effective way to do that is through politics and political protest.
1: Do you think um, when uh, you know Hillary Clinton was running for president, um, obviously against Donald Trump in a very misogynistic sort of field, that this sort of gave rise to this women's movement with the marches that were happening. And then, you know, I think it was actually Judd that um, during a women's march that actually was one of the f- um, uh, forefront uh, at the forefront of, of helping this movement g- uh, gather some steam.
2: Yeah, I actually was in the crowd at the Women's March the day after Trump's inauguration when Ashley Judd was on stage speaking. And and it definitely is tied to that. I mean, I think having a woman lose in the way that she did and having all of that sexism and... The tapes, the Hollywood Access tapes that we all heard and having a president accused of sexual harassment is something that is definitely on everyone in this movement's mind. So, yes. So
0: is there is there a case to be made, you know, because we were just talking about Um, Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, wearing a dress um, that wasn't black, and people get criticizing her um, for not wearing a black dress in support of Me Too. But then people also saying that, listen, she's not supposed to make political statements. And then (laughs) the counter argument that is, is this a political statement? So, you know, to that point, do you think that that is a fair case to be made? Um, That, you know, Me Too, and Time's Up for that matter are beyond politics?
2: Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, if we go back to the roots of Me Too, it really is a movement about healing from great trauma. Um, And I think if Megan and Kate are able to focus on that central tenet, they'll receive a lot less pushback. Um, Though, on a personal note, I hope we see them both out in the streets with hand-painted protest signs.
0: Oh, that'd be awesome. I would love to. What would their sign say?
2: Um, my one of my personal favorites from the women's March this year in New York was, literally keep your dick in your pants. I <laughs> I say
0: that. I would be shocked if we see either Megan or <laughs> Kate with that sign. But let me tell you, if if they do, uh, it will break the internet. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well,
2: I have to say I, I just rewatched <laughs> Oh, I just have to say I, I rewatched Megan's 2015 UN Women's speech last night and Yeah. And in it she talks about her first overtly sexist TV commercial that she saw when she was 11 years old and, and how she wrote to the then first lady, which was Hillary Clinton.
0: Hillary Clinton. Um,
2: And so I have a feeling the royal family might be well steeped in the feminist movement in the coming years.
0: Oh yeah, she said, you know, it's so funny actually because I did an interview with Gloria Allred uh, because she also wrote about that because she wrote another letter to Gloria Allred as well about that. And you know, she got that yeah, she was 11 years old. She was on um, Nick News also a Nickelodeon TV here in the US. She got featured on that, got Procter & Gamble, this big company to change their soap ad, so because was soap ad about housewives, you know, being uh, soap being tough on their hands. Yeah. And uh, she got, I think, I think that's what it was. But um, she got them to change the ad, and yeah, wrote to Hillary Clinton, wrote to uh, Gloria Allred, and she got it changed. And yeah, that speech to the UN. If you guys haven't listened to it, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. That's that's pre Harry. That's just her, you know, on her own being um, a force for change here. So. Uh, definitely worth a listen. Eleanor, thank you so much for, for joining us and for giving us this insight. It's definitely uh, appreciated yeah. and valuable. And uh, it's a movement
1: that we all can uh, definitely get behind. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, guys.
0: Once again, that was Eleanor Bennett, producer of women's content at Spoke.
2: Something blue.
1: Okay, so the last segment of Spilling Royalty is reserved for our blue blooded advice, where we take something the royals are doing and extrapolate that on how you can do something regular in real life
0: yeah so I think that you know looking at this example so like looking at Royals making political statements I think we like I think the best thing to do here like the the big takeaway the advice that we could take away is looking at Meghan Markle right looking at how she navigated what was a very tough situation yeah um And I think that a lot of us, you know, I mean, not all of us are on stage uh, in front of millions of people at a royal forum, you know, with um, a duchess, a duke and a prince on either side of you. I mean, (laughs) we can dream. But um, I think the the really interesting thing to take away here is like she could have very easily just said something generic. You know, in a generic response. And I don't think she would have gotten a lot of flack necessarily for that because everyone said, oh, she's just doing her job. But she did take it upon herself to stay true to really what she's been saying for many years, Um, as we just talked about, you know, with, like, the UN conference and all the activism she's done. But she did it in a way that wasn't – She wasn't throwing barbs at anyone. She wasn't, like, coming for anyone. Her agenda wasn't at the forefront or pushy. She did it in a way that was very personal. She was just speaking about, like, her staying true to who she was and leaving it at that. Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of situations like that, you know, where you end up at a party, you're talking to someone who you, you would never talk to normally, yeah, and they find out that they know something about you, or da, da 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 and all of a sudden now you're having to defend this, like, random point or political opinion that you have, and it's getting a little
1: bit more heated. It's like Sunday dinners around ours. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you have, uh, when I was growing up, as the kids would always have Sunday dinner, and there'd always be a topic of conversation that would end up getting heated, and people would have different points of views on the said subject, and, you know, so, yeah, how, do you, how would you get your point Across, would you take Megan's example? and yeah. be poised and gracious, and just drop Listen. the mic. <laughs> Listen,
0: I'd like—I, you know—I have moments in my past where I have been like that, and I have moments where I have—I have um, been less than Megan Markle s, shall we say? <laughs> but you know what, though, I think like I do look back on dinners where you are asked about something, and you know, a political stance or just something going on in the news, and. It's a tough moment. It's like you could easily just be like, shut up and defer and not say anything. I think that if you don't say anything about how you truly feel, You feel like you sold out afterwards. But at the same time, you don't want to, like, rush into a confrontation and try and find a fight. We want to take Megan's advice here and go for the middle ground, which is you want... You have to stay true to yourself. You have to say, well, you know what? Based on X, Y, or Z, like, I really... You know, based on my experience of talking to these women who've experienced all the sexual harassment and, you know, if I... If, you know, my experience in the workplace, this is a really important movement to me and I don't view it as political, but I understand if you feel differently. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's... sort of take away, but
1: not try and entail. How often does that happen, though, Sean? Listen, listen, you know what?
0: It didn't happen. A couple of
1: cocktails in. Yeah, I mean, that's why those aren't allowed at dinner anymore.
0: But, um, no, I've gotten better. You know, it takes practice, though, is yeah. the thing. It really does, because I was terrible at it for years, even though I tried to be, but it did. I, I've gotten better at it.
1: I find, I find that I do a lot of listening. Yeah, so, rather than pushing my opinion forward, I tend to just sort of nod politely and say uh-huh uh-huh a lot um just because in social situations it, it can be very awkward when somebody it, somebody else is pushing their agenda on you um and often not in los angeles you don't really get asked your opinion anyway yeah no one wants it <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs> absolutely but yeah i think that no i think that's a great i think those are two good takeaways i think listen to the other side yeah or to whoever's talking you know and try and be empathetic um and then also be true to who you are, but don't be confrontational about it.
1: Yeah. So I, I host something called the Toskers, um which I just did. Uh, is a parody on the Oscars, and I was on stage, and so I had a platform, and I, I chose to took a seven year old uh, boy on stage with me who was dressed as a girl. Yeah. And his uh, name is Ryder, and you know he's obviously undecided sexually, but sure. he loves to wear dresses and high your shoes. And I didn't have to say anything. It was just like, this is Ryder, he's my buddy. Yeah. And, you know, we're, and this is our future. And we want to let this kid know that whatever he wants to be when he grows up is totally fine with us.
0: So maybe the takeaway is, even if other people are treating it politically, don't treat it that way. Yeah. Because that's really what Megan did. She didn't treat it like it was a political issue. Exactly. So there you go. That's, That's our advice this week. That's for the Blue Bloods.
1: Well, the tea has been spilled. And it's been rather hot. I'm Sean Mandel. And I'm Craig Robert Young. And thank you for joining us on Spilling Royal Tea, the podcast. Spilling Royal Tea is a collaboration between TMZ and Spoke. Use Spoke to find your next favorite podcast. Learn more at hearspoke.com. Maggie Van Dorn is our executive producer. And you can subscribe to Spilling Royal Tea on Apple Podcasts. For more coverage of the royal wedding, visit tmz.com.
0: Should I move okay. my purse from one arm to the next to signal that I'm done with this segment? <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. When I cough three times, you know what that means. Gerald. I need to go to the restroom.
0: <laughs> Gerald, I'm, I'm ready to move on from this segment, Gerald. <laughs> I have nothing left to say to this commoner.